When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is Conspiranormal. All right, guys, welcome back to Conspiranormal. It's good to be back. I watched Bosley on last week, and this week we got two for one. We have the hosts of the great podcast, Great Lakes Lore, one of which is Aaron Gullius, who you guys have heard many, many times on this show. This is probably like, you know, Maybe episode once or twice. 37 with Aaron Gullius. 42. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe Soraya has had you on more than, than I have, but I think that's possible. I think that's probably the only one that's that's likely, yeah. But we have also first-time guest, host, co-host of Great Lakes Lore, Samantha Engel. Welcome to Conspiracy Normal for your first time. For your yeah, first thank time. you. Thanks. Um, great to have you guys. Um, I was listening to uh, you guys' show in preparation for this. It's always great when I can like listen to a podcast because my, my job primarily requires me to be in the car. I could just sit there and just listen to podcasts, just, just let it go, and instead of like reading a book or something like that. So thoroughly have enjoyed it. I'm, like I told you guys before, I'm like halfway through all the topics. But uh, we'll start with you, Samantha, since Aaron's been on a lot. We could talk a little bit about like kind of your vision for the show and uh, what made you want to do a podcast about weird happenings and interesting things in the Great Great Lakes region. Yeah, sure. So um, I am a historian. Um, I work in public history, so museum work primarily. But I have always been very interested in weird, creepy, spooky stuff. <laughs> even even as a kid, that was totally my jam i was like please no little house on the prairie i need all of the goosebumps <laughs> so there was a ghost episode of little house on the prairie there probably and it, was and it was and it was really freaky I, i'm not gonna lie i remember that one yeah <laughs> yes oh. yes maybe i'll have to it had like a moving doll and everything too it was oh. like it, it scared the hell out of me i was like well dolls are always on. creepy so yeah. <laughs> um but yeah no and so so i've always like carried that interest throughout throughout everything kind of in the background and um i you know several years ago began really diving into podcasts and had met aaron through my previous museum job and um you know, knew he had the podcast. And so as we spoke more and talked more and whatever, and realized we really enjoyed talking about these weird <laughs> topics um, and, and really had, you know, our own unique approach as historians. So, you know, what is, what is the myth? What is the legend? Now let's go dive into genealogy records or old newspapers and, and things like that and sort of apply our historical research background and historical knowledge to these types of stories to try and 
get to the heart of them if possible, or, or just have some fun exploring them and chatting about them. And so um, slowly I kind of pitched the idea to Aaron and he seemed to think he could do two podcasts, which I think is impressive. So, <laughs> oh, <yeah>. um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, that's kind of, I think largely how it came about and, and how like I sort of conceived of it and how we thought about it as we were putting things together. And we liked sort of the regionality of it too, because I'm interested mm-hmm. in um, sort of ideas of place and things like that. And so I'm a Michigan born, raised Michigan girl. And um, there's just having also lived outside of the Great Lakes region for a little bit. Um, there's there's a unique thing that that goes on here. And so exploring some of those topics, maybe within that um, with with that lens of, you know, what is sort of regional identity or how how do folks approach things? in this part of the country or world. Absolutely. I think all, uh, just like politics, you know, all paranormal is local. Yeah. And what are some like unique historical circumstances that, that lend to the, the character of the, the legends and, and different phenomena in this area? Yeah. So, um, well, we recently did an episode on the Lake Ontario Triangle. And so I've always enjoyed uh, Great Lakes maritime history. And although this is a bit further away than, you know, the Great Lakes that are touching Michigan, um, it was it was really fun to look into that. And we have a few other topics um, in mind for future episodes uh, that really sort of you know, I think put into perspective, especially for people maybe not from the region, how large the lakes are and how they have their own mythos around them and their own culture around them. And really how folks from this region really, I think, cling to these ideas as part of, you know, a a maritime history, which perhaps, you know, someone in I don't know, Oklahoma wouldn't think Michigan has a maritime history or something like that. So um, I think I think that's a, a, a good example of that. But just, I mean, the various industries that have come through the region, Native American and indigenous legends that impact things, how the region was settled. It's all a very kind of unique story. I, I think one of the things about, about this region, apart from the maritime stuff. And one of the things Sam said on, on one of our episodes is, is, is we have to think of, remember that, that the great lakes are they're lakes, but they're, they're almost inland freshwater seas. Like as far as mm-hmm. the, the currents and the weather, it's not like, you know, the lake you go, you know, with your cabin on it necessarily. <laughs> right. um, but one of the things for me is, I mean, I'm from Indiana, which is, I mean, literally it's a liminal state. It's the most liminal state. There is no (laughs) such thing as Indiana. There are a bunch of different distinct regions that coalesce into Indiana because we had to draw the lines somewhere. And so it, the entire Great Lakes region is a place that people pass through and some of them stay, which means there is a, a huge variety of different cultures, different waves of immigration overlapping with each other, with their own, um, with their own, you know, cultures and and legends and lore that they bring with them. And uh, I I think that's another aspect of it is is that the the population is, is, you know, very diverse over time, depending on, on when and where, when and where you look from the indigenous people to, you know, like I said, the different sort of phases of immigration that uh, that come through it's it's a, it's a it's a more diverse area than people give it credit for it sort of gets lumped into lumped into oh you have a bunch of german people in the midwest no it's it's much more strange than that sometimes 
and I guess you define the Great Lakes, uh, Three Lakes area as like what Ohio, Indiana, Illinois, Michigan, and Wisconsin, Minnesota, right? Minnesota, mm-hmm. and, and then we threw in um, Pennsylvania and New York because they touch Great Lakes too. <laughs> which, um, but <laughs> yeah, it, it, it's it's weird because yeah, I mean. New York touches two Great Lakes, right? Mm-hmm. Erie and Ontario and, and Pennsylvania Lake Erie. But, you know, they don't they don't feel like Great Lakes states. No, yeah. no offense to them, but they don't they don't have that feel because because they're they're also coastal, you know, mm-hmm. so th- it's like their maritime history is sort of eastern seaboard. Right. maritime history philadelphia as a port city in, in there's uh, also i think a lot of connections between those states and those regions mm-hmm. um like um you know there's a lot of immigration that happens from or migration that happens from northern new york and into pennsylvania into michigan um just because of you know kind of following erie canal and the great lakes and similar um similar landscapes i have a lot of ancestors that that took that route here in the mid 1800s and so i think you do find some of those over laps in those parts of the states but they're more yeah well known i guess for other areas <laughs> i guess anything that's covered by the northwest ordinance is, <laughs> thank you is, thank uh, you um you, you, you know um one of one of our when we were trying to think of titles for the show sam was the one i came up with was it like legends of the old northwest you and i both pitched a couple of things that had old northwest Northwest. um, and we're like oh but people are gonna think we're talking about the pacific northwest so we ditched it (laughs) i just don't know too many um podcasts that deal with like you know ghosts and cryptids and strange occurrences that mention the northwest ordinance and the jay treaty of 1795 which, which I think is a huge oversight, but, yes, I mean, yes. I, but it, it does sort of set us apart. You know, we haven't talked. Sam, have we done an entire episode of the land ordinance of 1785? Because, I don't think I don't think that's going to it's going to fly past the vetting process. You, you know, it was written by Thomas Jefferson. Well, I do. OK, but. you're as a Thomas Jefferson fan. I'm, I'm a big be. Thomas Jefferson. I wrote my master's thesis on Jefferson. Oh. So Jefferson is my jam. But you'd have to get the Articles of Confederation and set all that up. <laughs> Right. <laughs> anyway, watch uh, the numbers drop. <laughs> I was listening to it a couple of days ago, and I was like, "Yeah, I, like they really just mentioned the Jay Treaty. Like no one ever has." T- <laughs> I don't usually hear that on other shows, but um, well, that that land ordinance is where the uh, you know the secret uh, Masonic surveyors went out and put everything in, into a grid. So yeah, yeah. So there's probably something to it. Because there, aren't there a lot of counties in Michigan and Ohio that are like almost perfect squares? Isn't that like a thing? Yeah. Yep. Um, anything anything in the Northwest or Northwest Territory is 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 pretty rectangular. Not necessarily square, but yeah, at least rectangular, yeah. and then divided up into its count townships and <laughs> which which are generally square. Yes, those yeah. are yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's all it's all a vast Masonic conspiracy. So you would cover those states, but you wouldn't cover maybe like Kentucky or in the case. I think the closest that you got was when you talked about the uh, Witch's Castle, which I think is yeah. right yeah. across from Louisville. Yep. Yep. But in so, Indiana. So. That, that, that's the thing. I like 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 Illinois, Ohio, Indiana are Great Lakes states, but they're also Ohio Valley states. So mm-hmm. that gives us a, a little sort of cheat code to talk about Ohio Valley stuff sparingly. 
you know, because it, it's not really our remit to do that. But, um, well, we also want to, uh, you know, appeal to a broader audience too. Right. <laughs> so, so right. it helps us bring in some extra topics. <laughs> but if you ever feel compelled to do an entire episode on the J Treaty, just let me know. Maybe we can. I, I've, I've tried. <laughs> didn't fly. let's get into some of these uh into some of these cases um that you guys talk about and this was one that of course like i i had never heard of not and i think not being from that area i would have heard of it and that's the dudgeon swamp mystery and this is more i guess kind of a kind of a true crime because it's based in a actual murder case from i think the 20s the 1920s Something like that. So let's talk a little bit about that. Yeah. Sam, Sam it's your hometown. So <laughs> Yeah. So, so it, it is my hometown. And um, it is a story that I had grown up hearing about. Um, my parents definitely fed my spooky obsessions and, you know, told me all the good ghost stories and things. And we actually grew up while well, my parents still live there, kind of down the road and across the street from where this swamp area is. And so, um, you know, heard the story many times. Of course, I didn't learn about the um, incest babies until I was of an appropriate age to learn about incest baby <laughs> ghosts. Um, but, you know, I, it was something I'd always wondered about, like, well, what is the real story to this? Because just hearing it from people in town or my parents telling the story, it's very much just sort of this oral I guess, oral tradition, you know, something that's just passed down um, to to everybody. And um, so we decided to start digging into it and found a lot of newspaper coverage throughout the whole state on on the trial and what was going on. And, you know, the things that we found um, definitely countered <laughs> um, sort of what what the prevailing narrative is. And, you know, if you look, go on YouTube or whatever and, and search the swamp, you'll find like all of these sort of um, especially a lot of young kid like ghost hunters who are like, we're going to go out in the swamp in the middle of the night and find the ghost. And I'm like, you're probably just going to, you know, be attacked by a bear, um, honestly, because then they're there. Um, but, you know, none of them are actually trying to figure out what the story is. They're just trying to find, you know, the ghost or just something legend like tripping, that. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Yep. And getting lots of details very wrong. Um, we recently just were Googling around and found this terrible article somebody wrote or blog post that, I mean, even the names of the people and who was involved was all messed up and backwards. And, um, you know, I think it was worthwhile trying to, to dig to what, you know, as much of the fact, because you can never know the true fact necessarily of, yeah. of what the case was. So. Well, that might be okay around like a campfire. It's not really, you know, you don't want to write it down or talk about it on a recording if it's, you know. Right. Right. And it's, 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 I don't want to say it's a straightforward murder case, but it's, it's, you know, a woman kills her husband and then they go back and suspect that the elderly father-in-law who died six months before mm -hmm. might've been murdered too. And then there's a sensational, well-covered murder trial and there's you know convictions and and there's all this like ghost stories that pop up and stories about babies born mm -hmm. but you know brother and sister mm -hmm. having babies and then ghosts show up and it, it's you just hear these little we when we started looking at it i mean i was unfamiliar with it completely we started looking at at, at, at accounts and and it's like it's just weird stuff and you look at the newspapers and it, it just 
it just doesn't match up. So it was a good, it was a good first episode to sort of sort of set out our stall of what we are doing mm-hmm. and uh, with the mm-hmm. show and um, sort of the, this intersection of weird history and 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 trying to find some semblance of uh, fact. Mm-hmm. Well, what were some of the things that you found out? What were some of the, like the specifics of the case? And there was also a very interesting way that they tried to get these people to confess. <laughs> yes. Yes. Um, so, and this was something that, you know, I had always heard growing up too, is that the um, townspeople uh, who were very unfriendly towards the Dudgeon family um, sort of put together this lynching mob and they ran down the two brothers and st- strung them up and, you know, forced a confession out of them, um, which later, of course, they recanted <laughs> and said, well, no, I, you were hanging me. Of course, I'm going to, um, you know, agree to whatever you're saying. Uh, and and it's it's really interesting because for the episode, we had access to like some of the bigger national or not national, the, the larger state newspapers, the Detroit Free Press, Grand Rapids, things like that. Um, But recently we took a trip back to White Cloud and went to the local library and looked at the actual White Cloud newspaper and the difference in the perspectives between the two, especially on the lynch mob was was very interesting. So whereas like the Detroit Free Press, you know, you know, these um, uncouth people of White Cloud, terrible people doing terrible things, whatever. um, In the White Cloud newspaper, they referred to it as the lynching bee, which I feel... (laughs) Sounds very arts and craftsy. Yeah, right. <laughs> and, <laughs> yes. And, you know, they like interviewed some of the members of the of the lynching bee. And, um, you know, they they just they deserve to find out the truth. And they the police weren't doing enough and they wanted to find out what was going on. So <laughs> um, the perspective differences were were stark. <laughs> And and in the, the the major state newspapers, sort of sort of the, the, the ghosty thing that was it was just sort of it just sort of came across as um, the state detectives who came in were accused of you know faking ghost stories to f- scare people into confessions, but in the local papers it was much more clear that there were re- that there were claimed to be it was more elaborate. Mm-hmm. That. It was it was more involved than that. It was more something that that would be mistaken for or interpreted as an actual haunting. Yeah, um, so you can see how to, that yeah. traveled yeah. down. Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you. Um, no, just, but how that it, travels. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Even like while it was taking place, pretty much. Yeah, it's already playing the telephone game. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yep. And and you've got the big city papers sort of dismissing it and ah, these rubes, you know, <laughs> sort of out, out in the woods, the, the the swamp sallies out in the woods, you know, causing trouble. And, you know, but um, but the local papers so and so said that, you know, she saw the ghost of such and such, you know, roaming in the in the night or something like that. It's taken a little bit more seriously, not mm-hmm. completely seriously, mm-hmm. but but not not dismissed as, you know, these, these crackers out in the woods are you know <laughs> crazy or something like that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, didn't they try to like dress as ghosts or something? Wasn't there something like that? Yeah. And this, I never heard this before. So when we first came across that in the, in the larger newspapers, it was nutso. Um, but yeah, basically these three, they painted them as like these three rogue state troopers rolled into town and they were there to like figure out what exactly was going on. And yeah, they like took the, the brothers, each of the brothers, I think the mother and the, the daughter, 
um, all to this barn, the barn where the man was found hanged and dressed up as ghosts to try to scare them into confessing. <laughs> all right. Like, were they literally like wearing sheets? Like, was it? So. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think. I yeah. With like little so. eyes. Yes. You know? Right. The it, one it, maybe cut too many holes like Charlie Brown. Charlie Brown. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's 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 very it's very strange. You, 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 this is definitely a, a pre Miranda rights sort of sort <laughs> right. of you know, legal system. But it's it's amazing what um, it, it's, it's just there's in some of the local papers. What we found was um, the the attitude of the local people in the town who were in the what do you call it, the audience or, or the, I know. The, spec, the spectators, <laughs> yeah. in, the, in, mob. In the, the, the <laughs> yeah. mob in the, in the courtroom, um, their, their animosity toward the defendants was so great that, that the, their, their attorney truly believed that it influenced the jury, that, that the mm-hmm. jury, but the jury was made up of the same people as mm-hmm. everybody else. And this family had supposedly a reputation as, as troublemakers. And so when they're accused of murder, nobody really bats an eye. Well, and they were really upset with them. Like they had moved to town and apparently bought this huge swath of land that a lot of folks used to like graze their cows on and and do all these other things with. And so it's hard to know if like the animosity was just like because of this, like a sort of land rights argument or or if really. And that's sort of the next question Aaron and I want to figure out is look at papers like pre murder and see if these dungeons were truly like rabble rousers always making trouble getting in fights because there's one story that like didn't the mom like knife a teacher yeah something i don't remember you you see like it's like she she once roughed up a teacher or something like that (laughs) and and it's like there's there's gotta be some paperwork on that yeah you know even in even in west michigan in in, (laughs) you know the early 20th century there's there's gotta be something so Mm -hmm. where when we went out there last time um it was a Saturday because jobs and um, the, the library was open. We, we were able to get three hours in and a good 20 minutes of that was figuring out the microfilm machine. So, um, I touched it. It fell apart. I was not allowed to touch it again. Um, rough scene, man. So we're, we're hoping to go out there again on hopefully a weekday when um, somebody can, you know, give us enough time to, to look through stuff. So you guys are going to continue uh, to look into this and there's probably going to be a part two at some point. Yeah. And, Mm -hmm. and I'm not sure if I can mention this, Sam, this is what we're thinking about for our presentation for the conference Mm -hmm. in October. Okay. It's sort of, is sort of this, this ongoing investigation, including trying to get some, some histories and commentary from people who, who grew up there, what they have heard over the years, mm-hmm. comparing that to what, what yeah. Sam heard mm-hmm. growing up and, mm-hmm. and so sort of the, uh, the, 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 the community tradition of this, bring in some, some family memories from one of the fam the family, the victim. Um, one of them wrote a memoir of what she mm-hmm. learned growing right. up and heard about mm-hmm. it growing up. So, so sort of this, like, like the, the, how the ghosty stuff fits in and how the history fits in and how this, this concept of, 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 misremembering sort of works was there some animosity to the fact that maybe that you had that they were kind of out in the country a little bit and you had the townspeople was there was there a little bit of class struggle going on there that these people were poor and i don't so i think a lot of white cloud at that time was backwoodsy um Mm -hmm. i don't think that i i don't 
from nothing that I've read or the bit of that older White Cloud history that I know, I don't really get that sense necessarily, but it's definitely um, something to remember or, you know, to keep in mind as we're, as we're looking, but, um, you know, a lot of the folks there were, you know, they were working as stumpers or, um, you know, trying to eke out a living off, off the land. Um, and, and white cloud is still super tiny, not big. So yeah, um, I was checking to see where it was. Yeah. I, I think most of the, most of the classism and the snobbery comes from reporters from outside the yes. area who are, who are doing the reporting. And it's like, you know, these, these backwards people, you know, don't even know it's wrong to kill people because they, <laughs> they've never read the Bible. What year was this? This was 1920. 22 22 yeah so i mean you're kind of in the same you're really in the same era that i mean lynchings are going on all over the place so yeah Mm -hmm. yeah and and, and these aren't there's there's not the racial connotations to this lynching but but the the, the notion of of people you know just here's a mob to to take the law into their own hands yeah it's not it's not unheard of it just the the way the papers reported it it was not presented as something like we cannot believe anything like this could happen in our town it was just like yeah not at all (laughs) a group of solid citizens got together to take (laughs) the law you know to the next level (laughs) something Mm -hmm. like that so moving on uh, you also did a little bit of something about the mad gasser and this is mattoon mattoon illinois so i guess it fits in with the great lakes um region or the theme was there anything that you guys found out about this case that interested you? No. I'll let, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I think this this one this one was one of mine that I mm-hmm. sort of pitched. Right. Um, mm-hmm. you you can tell you you can you if you go down the list you can tell the Sam episodes and the Aaron episodes <laughs> as as far as as who who pitched them. Um, but I I think I I knew about it but I didn't know a lot about it. And one of the things that uh, really surprised me was just the extensive, the extensive newspaper coverage and and sort of the the way there was just this alarm, this almost mm-hmm. panicky note mm-hmm. in the newspapers that that stops almost dead in its tracks once you get to a certain point. It's like, well, there's no more mad gas, or we're not worried about this anymore. It, it's almost like somebody flips a switch. And, you know, the attacks, the attacks drop off and there's you know, suspicion that, that, you know, oh, well, they've, you know, caught whoever it is or, or suspect whoever it is. And then the science teacher a few years ago wrote a book um, saying it was a local Farley, Farley, right? His name is Farley. Mm-hmm. Um, he's a local chemist or chemistry student or a person who knew a lot about chemistry. And his family had had issues with other people in the town and sort of sort of traces it to that and, and says that, you know, the, the cases where the, the mad gasser left like women's shoe prints, that was his sisters who sort of <laughs> like jumped in to, I don't know, sub for him when he couldn't do it. I don't know. It was, it's not a well-written book, um, but uh, sis, I can't go around gassing people tonight. Can you take over for me? <laughs> it's like, Oh, sis, come on, man. I'm tired. I, I gassed people all night last night. Um, but yeah, the mad the mad gasser thing is is interesting because you know it's it's such a compact little episode in one town's history, but there are like action figures that were produced, and somebody did a graphic novel that is like about the mad gasser, but the plot is nothing 
it's like a modern day guy who dresses up like the old mad gasser and like murders people. Yeah. Um, and it, it's without gas. Um, but uh, well, he gasses them, then cuts them up. Right. So it, it's it's just one of these things where where the legend of it has completely outstripped how interesting the original story actually was. And the thing yeah. I thought was interesting was like, I think because we looked up like the the Mattoon Historical Society's website and all that. And since I, I work in public history and I'm interested in public memory and how, you know, areas commemorate things and they had like nothing on it. So it's clearly something that the town itself doesn't really want to remember, share, um, put out there like, hey, come come check out our exhibit on the Mad Gas or anything like that. And part of it could be that, well, I mean, there's not really artifacts, right? Um, right. So I don't know what an exhibit would look like, but it for it to be something that has spawned such outside like myth and, and creation of pop culture-y type things mm-hmm. in the town, it's not something that they appeared to be interested in i think wasn't that aaron i think yeah, i'm right I, in remembering that yeah yeah, yeah i I, think, I, I can't remember talking about it on the show but i was expecting there to be like mad gasser days you know it's like this is the sort <laughs> yeah. of thing you build a yeah. festival around right. you you, you yeah. bring in people in co- mm-hmm. you, have, you have a mad gasser costume contest you, you, do, <laughs> you do stuff like that but nothing no nope. well i was gonna say it lends itself to being more paranormal not someone who is going you know you got all the trappings of a paranormal thing you got the odors going on which joshua kutchin talks about of course and then kutch would go go off on those paralysis and all that um from what i'm looking at also known as the anesthetic prowler i I really think they should have kept that name the anesthetic prowler sounds much more menacing than the mad gasser you guys in the in the in the show compare it to spring hill jack which is another one of these weird characters and uh there's a little bit of men in black mythos in this stuff too yeah yeah spring hill jack does i mean he there was an art there was like one article back in the 70s that sort of made that connection between the mad gasser and spring hill jack um and i think oh, was it jerome clark or lauren coleman lauren i know you're listening to this because you track every mention of your name everywhere but if i'm wrong <laughs> don't yell at me um but um yeah somebody made that that spring hill jack mad gasser connection and and then there are the men in black spring hill jack connections so the transitive property i remember from math classes mad gasser is connected to the men in black and all these sort of dark clad figures who are who are mm-hmm. menacing and, and and frightening sort of get sort of put into one silo you can't see me but i'm talking with my hands a lot uh, <laughs> listeners. but um they get put into to, to one sort of box in a lot of ways samantha any thoughts on 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 the uh, mad gasser no not not anything else aaron pretty much <laughs> covered uh you know you know what what we found and and yeah i was i was fascinated by the by the public memory stuff so well we'll have to be sensationalistic here and talk about dog man because that's that's all the rage um so much so that actually in uh, august there's actually a dog man conference going to be here in tennessee in paris now, tennessee now, now i'm not sure that dog man has ever been sighted in tennessee but uh it's happening here anyway uh and i'm really thinking about going seriously yeah (laughs) i'd love to hear about it (laughs) but um you know this of course this is the big you know the beast of bray road um the linda godfrey material this is wisconsin 
so this is a I guess that this is this is something that really kind of starts in the Great Lakes region. Yeah. Um, and so this was this was a, a me topic um, because, again, it was something I had heard about. I think I was in college probably when I when I first heard about Dogman and um there were many different directions that we could have taken with the episode. And, um, and, and obviously there are, you know, big, you know, Linda Godfrey has, has big ideas about, you know, these, these dog creatures cited all over the place. Um, but we decided to keep it specifically to Michigan, um, to, to make it digestible, at least for this episode. And, um, really looked at, you know, there is the Gable film that, that had come out and the creation of the, of the, the Tim Cook song, um, right. Tim Cook. Yeah. Tim Cook yeah. song. Um, that was that, that had come out in the seventies and, 80s. um, Oh, eighties. Okay. Yeah. I, I don't have my outline in front of me. <laughs> oh yeah. It was 87. Wasn't yeah, it? 87. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> um, and, and really kind of hone in on, you know, the, the scene that he created with that song and how that kind of has spurred perhaps more Dogman activity um, and looked at, you know, History Channel's Monster Quest episodes about it because they focus in on on the, the Tim Cook song and the Gable film a lot. And um, and that was that was a fun one. I felt like a, was, yeah. a big a debunker <laughs> um, with it, but it was fun putting all of the pieces together and talking about um you know, these, these different sources that were apparently, I'm using quotes there, that were apparently referenced in, in some of these sightings, like Tim Cook saying he had a, a diary from the 1800s where some farmers or something or had, had seen the dog man. It's like, okay, like, well, well, where is this journal? You know, we, we're historians, we like footnotes. So is this in your possession? Did you find it at an archive? Is it in a repository somewhere? Or probably you made it up. <laughs> um but that never happens in the paranormal no nobody ever makes anything up <laughs> no no but that one that one is fun and um i don't aaron i don't think knew too much about dog man so he had I, I, a trial I knew, by fire <laughs> i knew i knew about the song um i knew about the song uh because i was doing a weird michigan presentation uh, at, at at the college i work at for a community sort of education fun day and um uh, somebody said, "What about what about the talking about dog man?" I'm like, "I don't know what the hell you're talking about." And and so they they, they schooled me on the this is somebody I worked with, so they, they knew I was incompetent. So um, they um, told me about the dog man song. Like, so the whole dog man thing is basically down to this song, right? And like, yep, it's a DJ from Traverse City who just sort of made a song. It's like a, it's called the legend. So it's it's like this invented tradition of dog man sightings every, every seven years. Every seven years. <laughs> Because what other number would you use besides 13, right? Um, so spooky number, seven. And so every seven years, the dog man appears, except in years that's not the every seven. It, it, it's when you, when you look at it, when you look at the, the story of it carefully, it's so clear. This is a manufactured thing. Now, that's not to discount the fact that people have had strange encounters mm -hmm. with dog-like creatures in various places. I'm... I'm sure they believe they have, but, um, oh, that sounded dismissive, didn't it? It did. Uh, it did. I'm sure they <laughs> believe they have, but um, now I stand by that dismissal. But um, yeah, it, it's it's clear that, that at least this aspect of the dog creature cryptid thing is is very much a mm -hmm. PR thing. And the, the, the YouTube 
film, the, the Gable, the Gable film. film is, is it's fun to watch. I mean, I love mm-hmm. sort of made up found footage things. It's I had my dad buy me a 1995 camcorder so I could do the same sort of thing this summer if I had time, <laughs> but um, it, it's, it's, it's very clearly, you know, fake, but fun. I don't know. When I was 20 years old, sitting in my dorm room at college watching that, I was I was terrified. <laughs> I like to say self-generating instead of fake. Self-generating. That's, oh, that's good. That's Al- good. Alan Greenfield says there's no such thing as a hoax, Aaron. <laughs> I have seen the Gable film. Okay. <laughs> it is sufficiently freaky, but I was like, when I first watched it, I like, there's no way that's real. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know it was called the Gable film. I just saw it. You know, it's got the, you see the dog man. And then like the next thing you see is like eyes and like a snout in the, in the, in the camera. And then the camera falls. <laughs> it's like, it's like, is he being attacked by a furry? Was is it, that was it happening? I think, Samantha, you mentioned that it was supposed to have been a series that that guy was going to do or something. Yeah, he so was... he, he did put out a second one. Um, and and I think that's that's where the big mistake was, because the second one is complete. I mean, it's like supposed to be the police like stumbling upon and investigating these mutilated oh, bodies. No. <laughs> <laughs> nice. It's awful. The, the bodies, the bodies were very fake looking. It, it was. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, yeah. It was it was bad. You, you, you got a, a a nice little fake video there. Why yeah, it took it too yeah. far? Yeah, <laughs> flew too close to the sun. That's right. Killed the mystery. <laughs> That's right. It gives you that whole like I guess that Patterson film kind of vibe. Mm-hmm. Yeah, in the first yep. one and, definitely. Yeah, Dogman is uh, that's hot stuff right now. Now, now here's another one we. Uh, it kind of goes going down the list that I made, uh, the witch's castle. I thought this one was really interesting because you've got a little bit of, you've got the urban legend aspect to it, but you've also got this kind of like satanic panic aspect to this too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, who, who, which one of us came up with the witch's castle thing? I found it on a list of, you know, I don't know, and then, and then, or whatever. And then you you jumped on that one because I had just wrapped up a lot of dog man stuff, I think. And yeah. so you dove into that. I, I went to college about half an hour away from the witch's castle. So um, I have a friend from college who, who lives in in uh, or from Charlestown, Indiana, not not too far from from Utica. So I was I was familiar with the area. And once I got into the story, so there's there's like this legend of witches and there's a castle and the, the, it goes back to George Rogers Clark and, you know, the <laughs> founding of cities on the Ohio river, but it all sort of culminates in this horrific, horrific torture and murder yeah, of a high school bad. girl back in the nineties. And once I got into it, I realized that, you know, I remember in high school reading these newspaper stories about this girl. It was like, sort of, what was it like a, like a teen sort of junior high girl love triangle yeah, thing yeah. that ended up with with this this girl being beaten to death and then burned alive and she some, was rode around in the trunk of the car for a while yeah, I mean, just horrible it was like they, they tortured her at this like I, I think the technical term for it is like a not not a folly but it, it, it's a it was like a, a sort of stone chapel thing built on a property that had fallen into disrepair that mm-hmm. becomes known as the witch's castle it does not date back further than the 20th century despite mm-hmm. what you may read on the internet mm-hmm. but they they did some of the torture there they killed her in the 
county where I went to college. Um, but the witch's castle, because it had that nickname, becomes synonymous with this with this crime. And there was some, you know, were were rituals being conducted at sacrifices and murders conducted at the witch's castle. And and if you read the stories beyond the headline, the upshot is usually no. We've got no evidence of that, but it's 1992, 1993, and and you're still in the tail end of that, you know, the satanic panic stuff, Mm -hmm. which I'm, I was going to say I'm a huge fan of. I'm hugely interested in it. (laughs) Ever a huge fan of satanic panic. I, I'm very, I'm very interested yeah. in it, it. It 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 hits all my sort of bad conspiracy buttons. And I I watched the Geraldo special live back in the day. The Geraldo special is great. It is. It's um, excellent. My I remember I was in junior high. My mom walks in the room. And she's like, "What are you watching? <laughs> Geraldo's telling us about Satan, Mom." Um, but didn't they have uh, Michael Aquino? Wasn't he on that? Yeah, Michael you Aquino, who is if if you know, you know about Michael Aquino, but uh, Lieutenant Colonel Michael Aquino mm-hmm. of Mind Control fame. Um, but uh, yeah, it was it was very very interesting because it had this this sort of fake history aspect of you know they sent three witches on a raft down the ohio into the falls and they Mm -hmm. died and cursed the town it's like well yeah and it was wasn't it there were some of them they were witches and in others they were um weren't they native american women like there were a bunch of different interpretations and versions of of what the story was that had been passed down and and very clearly was all made up yeah (laughs) so the hysteria of that current moment like reached back to find this continuing thread right exactly mm-hmm. exactly mm-hmm. They, they, it's like we, we have no solid evidence here but what if you know what if this isn't new what if this is a curse that was placed on it by witches and or non-white people you know mm-hmm. back in the day so mm-hmm. yeah very um, very much like that the witch's castle itself what was its history because it just it it's not like it's very exciting it's just- no no it's <laughs> yeah. it's very boring it's it's um it's a small chapel shaped building that was part of an estate you know at this at this house in Utica Indiana sort of halfway mm-hmm. up a hill right in the Ohio Valley and um by the time we get to the 90s it had passed through a couple owners and had mostly fallen down but yeah it was just a small building on the on the property it wasn't it had no not much history of its own and we had actually found some like uh, somebody wrote in talking about like how their grandfather or something had been involved in the building. Do you remember? I can't remember the details yeah. on there. I pulled yeah. up the outline to see if I could find it. But um, um, but yeah, yeah so people were like, yeah, no, this what you're all saying is total crap because like my grandpa said that he worked my, on that or my, something. My, to that my, effect. My, my grandpa did the did the mortar work in 1937 yeah. <laughs> or, or something like that. Yeah, yeah. It, was, it was very it's not it's not old. It's not ancient. It's, Mm-mm. it's, you know, it was the creepiest thing about it is that it is in the general vicinity of where George Rogers Clark sort of established military control over the Ohio Valley in mm-hmm. the 1790s, 80s and 90s. Um, and so, yeah, it, it's, it's, it's one of those things where you think there's something there and, and the deeper you dig, the, yeah. the, mm-hmm. the less you find. But these like abandoned or liminal places and then then in some abandoned industrial places too really become the the uh, center point of a lot of the satanic panic stuff because these are like kind of 
teen hangouts and then often there's crime and then if there's a violent crime it really explodes into like this is this place that these satanic rituals have been done at and yeah Right. And no, they even no. reached into like, you know, one of the girls who was part of this group of horrible girls during doing horrible things, you know, well, she played Dungeons and Dragons oh, and yeah. her parents were worried about her with this and that. And so they totally, you know, played that into this whole story of like, well, clearly there was more going on here because D&D. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There's a there's a, a podcast will actually started out as a graphic novel. We've had him on the return to snake land. Uh, I don't know if you've heard him. This guy's on my show, uh, Jason Gusman, and Aaron O'Brien. They wrote a, they did a graphic novel about this place in Buffalo, New York. That kind of reminds me of that. And it's just this, it's, it's an old like grain silo and all these kids would hang out there and drink and party and, they would start, they would tell stories and then there were actual murder there was an actual murder that happened there in the 1980s this young girl got killed and, and all these metalheads were already hanging out there drawing pentagrams right. and spray paint everywhere so right. just like so so it it kind of became this place that had this aura about it because of what happened there and it it, it reminds me very much of that just like the just the word of mouth and the urban legends that get started over an area that you know the and you know i mean timothy renner you know his book beyond the seventh gate you know he talks a lot about that how in his area of pennsylvania that there's you know oh the seven gates of hell and he he set out to really try to find out you know where there really seven gates of hell and a lot of but there's not but there's but there is an interesting history that's involved with all this stuff still yeah, I wish there had been an interesting history with this one. Um, I was I was kind of disappointed. I was I was hoping for you know oh did George Rogers Clark mention these witches in a journal? No, no, he did not. It's not even a castle. What was the yeah, uh, or a castle? This is kind of going back to our last episode, but uh, with Walter Bosley. But what was the connection to Prince Madoc? What oh, was yeah. oh that was that was mostly me wanting to talk about Prince Madoc. So there is. Um, there, there's, uh, you know, the, the legend, the, the, the Welsh legend of, or the, the United Kingdom legend of a Welsh prince named Madoc sailing across the Atlantic mm-hmm. and, and up the Mississippi and, and to the Ohio and establishing forts along all these places that, um, you know, and, and, and so that was, it was, so this was supposedly one of the places where mm-hmm. Prince Madoc had been. And, and what, what I, think is interesting about Prince Madoc is, is, is nothing about the, the fake sailing to America stuff, but it's, it's about, this is um, a justification for English imperialism in North America because, yeah. Oh, we were there before the Spanish and French. <laughs> yes. My gosh. I think that's behind a lot of archeological hoaxes and speculation. Yeah. Or, or the other thing is it's like Prince Madoc is the symbol of Welsh nationalism. It's not the British empire. It's the Welsh empire. You know, we, we started all this. Um, no, you didn't go back to mining coal, but oh, no offense to Welsh people out there. Your choirs are amazing, but um, <laughs> Hey, I like the Welsh. I've got no problem with the Welsh. So it's um, yeah. The, the, the Madoc thing is, is interesting and it sort of gets dragged into it because it's in that general sort of river valley-ish area where Madoc supposedly established these these forts because heaven forbid we give native people any credit for building mm. anything. Um, it's good. 
Europeans had to do this. I mean, look, it's it's made with rocks. Yeah, and that's a that's a whole nother rabbit hole. If if anyone doesn't really know about it, you know, you get all these legends of uh, Indians who were supposedly, you know, sounded like they're speaking Welsh, and they look they look a little more lighter, and and you know, and, so and that goes back wild. to the um, the uh, the Roanoke Island thing too. Is is you know, well, they came they came in, in inland, and if you see if you see blonde, blue eyed Indians up in the hills, they're the descendants of the Roanoke colony. It's like, eh, gone to Croatan. Yeah, yeah, yep, going to Croton. <laughs> the Madoc stuff, I think, enters into the Mandan stuff, which I think, yes. you know, Lewis yeah. and Clark were real interested in that when they went up there. But that's more, I think, like North Dakota, maybe some some of Minnesota too. But and um, Andrew Jackson in his uh, one of his State of the Union addresses, you know, it refers to the, the, the ancient white people who built the mounds and everything and, and, and says, <laughs> you know, we're not doing anything to the Indians that they didn't do to the, the noble races who came before. You know, it's, it's like and so people cite that as back then they admitted the truth. And now yep. it's been covered up by the politically correct historians. It's like, no, Jackson didn't know anything. You know? Yeah, he was heavily influenced by uh, the father of Tennessee history, this guy named John Haywood. Yep. And uh, that's. Who's That's, buried here in Nashville? Yeah, we went to his his grave actually. Is and then um, he is also still cited constantly on these second and third hand giant mummies being found in caves and mounds. Like still to this day, they say John Haywood knew, you know, and the Smithsonian came and took him. Took them all. Yeah, it's all a big cover up. Yeah, that's that's a whole interesting history in in and of itself, and and I mean that gave justification for the Indian removal as yeah. well. It, it was so. it was it was one of them. It's, it's like this is this we're just you know this is like just the pattern of history, you know. We're, yeah. You know they they were they swept somebody away, so we're sweeping them away. You know, and gold and farmland. Yes, yes. I'm gonna talk about Mackinac Island. This is an interesting place. Of course, what I really want to know is if they still do like the somewhere in time conventions up there. <laughs> I don't know if they have, I feel like there's a somewhere in time weekend or something. Mm -hmm. Yeah. They all dress up in period clothing and yeah. Yeah. It seems like that's a thing. The grand hotel does. Um, I worked on the Island the summer of 2007 and um, I, I can't remember if they had something like that then or not, but you know, that's a big, a big part of all the carriage tours and everything is, you know, the somewhere and signs all over the Island talk, you know, Christopher Reeves was here. This is where Jane Seymour did this. <laughs> so, <laughs> Wow. <laughs> Claim to fame. Yes. <laughs> but apparently it's, it is, it is pretty haunted or at least people claim that it is haunted. Yeah. Yeah. So I, um, I worked there. Yeah. For a summer, um, I actually worked at a Starbucks. Um, but while I, I mean, I had some weird personal experiences while I was there, um, in sort of the the dorm, they the company that I worked for that owned several things on the island. Um, they put all of the girls up in this like weird dorm thing above one of the fudge shops downtown. And um, yeah, there were just a, a couple of oddball things there. Um, you know, I left my room and came back, and all my stuff was like shoved off of the dresser, and nobody saw anybody go into my room or whatever. Um, that was that was an odd one <laughs> for sure. And like nothing was missing. I had like my wallet out on my bed and different things mm-hmm. like that, and and nothing nothing gone right. like if 
and I'm a pretty likable person. People don't generally like attack my stuff. So, um, so that was weird, but the Island itself has such a like long history and so many different people have, have been there and passed through it, um, from, from indigenous peoples to the French and the British and the Americans and, um, you know, war, all these kinds of things that it's just sort of, ripe for the storytelling um as well as you know some actual truly horrific things that mm-hmm. happened on the island that you know it w- would make complete sense that um that there would be something lingering um after that and also like uh, you know the just sort of the transience of it you know whether it's soldiers moving through or it was a trading post for um for the native americans or tourism or whatever it was people just always always moving through the space and you get all the water and the limestone, just so many things I think that could contribute to sort of the harboring of um, spirits, memories, whatever, <laughs> whatever that could be. Hauntology. Yes, definitely. What, what were some of the, the things that happened on the island? Some of the bad, the bad events. So, I mean, I mean, there's war. Um, <laughs> this is a big one. Um, and so the island, well, of course, originally Native Americans and then and then the French um, and the British came to control it. And then with the war of or after the American Revolution, then the Americans had it, then the War of 1812, British took, you know, so there's just a lot of back and forth. And so there is this big Battle of Mackinac Island that takes place. Um, and so, I mean, you get soldiers wounded and things like that. Um, so that obviously plays a big role. Um, the old fort site or one of the oldest well yeah the oldest fort site is at the top of the island fort holmes and that was a place that i had always like heard oh fort holmes is super haunted um but we had my a friend of mine who worked on the island for seven or eight summers in a row i think and i can't remember exactly and she said she never had weird things you know happen there so she never thought of fort holmes as being one of the more um haunted spaces on the island um, but then there's a there's a um, Indian boarding school that was on the island, um, which is supposedly very very haunted um, for obvious sort of reasons. <laughs> was that in the same hotel that the place that you were staying in, or was that the other? Someone no, was I, talking about the uh, about Claire that. stayed okay. there. Yes, yeah. I I did not. So the the state employees that worked at the um, the park, so the Mackinac State Historic Park, which is what she did. Um, so she stayed at the the old boarding house. Yeah, I envision it's kind of like Harper's Ferry. Um, I don't know if you, if, if oh, I've never you, been, you, been to Harper's Ferry. Well, like um, in that old town section, like cars are not allowed. Right. At all. Um, And you walk around and there's just like they've got all the buildings preserved and uh, everything. Just each building has something to do with like Harper's Ferry history. There's like one building that's dedicated to John Brown raid there and such. And um, Mackinac Island kind of reminds me of that a little bit. But like, there's no cars at all available. You cannot drive at all on that on that island. Right. Yeah. There's a few emergency vehicles, and that's it. Um, yeah. There isn't even you know a ferry that takes cars <laughs> to the island. Um, in the, in the spring, they bring all the horses back to the island, um, and that's that's how all deliveries, business, tra- everything is is conducted on the island. 
I'd never put it together that the sort of parallel to Harper's Ferry. I, I've been to both places and I, I remember I, and it is, it's a lot like that. It's because I went to Harper's Ferry once on one of my history road trips. I was checking out civil war stuff mm-hmm. a few years ago and I expected like there to be a museum about the John Brown raid and that was it. But no, it was this, like you got rafting, you like whitewater rafting, mm. you got all this tourist stuff. It, you can't park anywhere near anything because there's no cars allowed in this old, I, I walked more. I walked a bunch of battlefields that trip, but I think I walked the most from my car to actually into Harper's Ferry. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I took, I took the bus in to Harper's Ferry um, I didn't know there was a bus. That would have been yeah, helpful. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, I walked a lot. I walked all over. And then like the Appalachian Trail runs right through it. And it's not the geographic, but it's more kind of like the um, emotional or mental center of the of midpoint of the Appalachian Trail, if that makes sense. So they've got this whole center there that you can go to. And I mean, there's like, I mean, there's tons of history there. I mean, just like, and there's NAACP used to meet there too, a lot, um, back in the early 20th century. So you've got all, you know, it's an incredible place. And I kind of imagine Mackinac is kind of the same way. Yeah. I mean, I think there's something interesting happens when you almost seem to see these moments in time not to be all Christopher Reevesy, right, right, <laughs> but right. like overlapping because, you know, like people get off the ferry, they're in their modern day life. And um, all of a sudden, you know, they're dodging horses and buggies and people on bicycles and a soldier on break from the fort walks by in costume. And, you know, downtown still looks very old downtown Mackinac Island. Um, and then if you travel into the interior, which I think is far more interesting, all these nat- you know, interesting geological features as well. But I mean, it's just this layering of times that I think you, you get that's, that's super interesting in a place like that. And, and sort of on top of that, you've got, you get the modern people coming off the ferry into the old timey place. Sorry to use the phrase old timey, uh, <laughs> but at the same time in the old timey place, you walk in and it's a souvenir shop. Yeah. That's very modern or a Starbucks or, Mm -hmm. you know, it's, it's really is layering. It's multiple layers. It's ping ponging back and forth between the present and and the past. And well, yeah, because then if you go a street back, you know, you can go through the Biddle house, you know, right. and so you can act and you can go into the fort and you can go into some of these other places that then, you know, teach you the history, but also transport you into a space that feels much more historical than just a gift shop. Um, and this, this is the type of like history play stuff that I geek out a lot about. So, so I could is, go on about that, but. Is it a national park or a state park? State park. State park. Yeah. Um, Why is it not a national park? That confuses me. I've always sort of assumed it was national until I was set straight by Samantha and Claire um, at some point, but um, I was, I mean, it's, it's just this, it's this war of 1812 battle site. It's, you know, a significant state owns it. Place. I don't know. It's Mackinac I, state historic parks. <laughs> I, it, it just, I don't know. It just seems like it needs to get promoted to like <laughs> a national historic site. I, I, cause like there's like some, well, it could still be a national historic landmark. Right. Like the I, house yeah. museum I run is a national historic landmark, yeah. but right. I just, I just we're not need, owned it, by. You need some sort of 
higher status. You want the UNESCO World Control? <laughs> <laughs> what you need. Website. Yeah, I, I, I want the New World Order to come in and take over Mackinac <laughs> Island. We can uh, put, some, put some FEMA camps on there. Yeah. To- to- totally mundane question, Samantha. Yeah. Uh, completely mundane, not supernatural in any way, but like you worked at a Starbucks. I did. So, so being that there's no um, cars on the island, how did you get shipments? They had to bring trucks in at some point, right? No, so the shipments come um, to the ferry um, on on the mainland in Mackinac City, and then the the dr- the horse led drays meet the ferry at the dock and load it up and really? cart it yep back i i uh, have unloaded a few drays in my time <laughs> um and um th- there was this one guy who his license plate his name was ray and he was big ray on the dray so <laughs> um he always knew when big ray was coming by you had you had your milk shipment coming in <laughs> do they have those wells fargo uh Cars coming by, do some holdups. Get the get the Budweiser Clydesdales to to sort of. Oh yeah. (laughs) Well, they're all. Oh gosh, what are all of those horses? I mean, because they're they're big draft horses. Mm -hmm. um, Most of them who lead all the carriage tours, I can't. And they're a specific kind, and they even have like their special winter place on the mainland that they go and Pitchford or some. I don't remember. Um, But yeah, yeah. Percheron. Are they? That's a horse. I know it from a Jethro Tull song. Well, yeah, that is a horse. I don't think they're. I don't think they're Porcherons. I, I don't remember. <laughs> I I understand that that it's that it's well known for its fudge. Yes. That's 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 what I was told by uh, some Michiganders I know as well. So, breaking news last night: the guy who founded the Ribas Fudge Shops, which was the family company that I worked for, they also own the Starbucks. He passed away yesterday. So, really? <laughs> yes. This is huge. I it it is rocking the Mackinac Island world, I am sure. How y'all doing? My name is Shelby Hoffman Jr. and I'm here with my friend. I'm Orvis James the third. We're here to talk about the truth. About the Conspiranormal Podcast. Well, you know, usually, you know, we, we listen to the programs on WWCR, but uh, sometimes we like to listen to podcasts, and we used to listen to the Conspiranormal Podcast until, uh, you know, we learned the truth and started hearing them talking about joining up for their Patreon or something like that. I don't know what that is. And trying to get folks involved in all this here mess. Now, you might say, hey, you know, that's one of my favorite podcasts, and it seems like a couple of all right Tennessee boys just interested in exploring the mysteries like everyone else. But in fact, Adam Sane is a known occultist. That's right, he is. And that Sir, Sir Flaham, you say his damn name? Oh, I don't know. He has gone even more downhill into the pits of hell since he joined. Oh, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I agree, Shelby, and uh, we're going to demonstrate with evidence that uh, this this podcast, this conspiratorial and the events and the people connected to it are part of this, like, hidden network of secret societies who operate behind the scenes. Now, they're using this podcast to recruit for these secret societies. And now, now we know everyone wants to be in a club, and there's nothing wrong with that, but these groups promoted by conspiratorial. Yep. 
that promised this hidden wisdom I know. we know are, in fact, occult in nature. Uh, all right, so look, you know, we're, we're not saying that the average person who is a member of one of those societies really knows what's going on. Because they really don't. I mean, they just probably like the fellowship and, you know, hanging out, drinking the punch, and, and going to the Strange Realities Conference and, you know, hanging out with their friends and such and, you know, playing pool on a Friday night. And they don't know who really pulls the strings at Conspiranormal. That's it, yeah. And in the, in the entire thing, is like one big pyramid where everyone at the lower levels don't really know what's going on at the top. So... Did you know that they has their regular weekly podcast? Uh, now, th now they have their regular weekly program. Oh, that's right, a program, yeah. And, and th there's a reason why they call it a program, you see? But they also have secret transmissions reserved only for the members of these yep. secret societies. Yep. Who are up to date on their dues, of course, now, because now we know it's all about money. So these special episodes, now they're not meant for the profane like us, you see. Yeah. You see, they, they, they have to join and become one of them, a conspiranormalist, as they say. Yeah, I mean, and, 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 and you know, Shelby, that's how they get you. You just don't want to miss out on some extra conversations that's going on and... And these shows, so you think, well, what the heck, you know? I mean, you go and you join the International Association of Spiritualists for only like $5 a month or something. And just like that, your foot's in the door, right? And now you, you got the access to communicate directly with, you know, Adam. He's a known occultist. And your other brothers and your sisters. But that's only where it begins. Well, that, that's right. But then they start to tell you that it is, in fact, an ancient order that goes all the way back to the Knights Templars and even further uh, back to the ancient mystical Egypt, if right. you believe it. Well, yeah, so uh, next time what we're going to do, we're going to tell you about another one of these organizations they got called the Mystic Crew. And, you know, we'll, we'll be back. We're, we're going to expose these guys. We're, we're going we're gonna to take them down. And you can find them and all that mess at patreon.com slash conspiranormal. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Wow! Quick moment of silence, guys. <laughs> well, let's let's take a few more. Uh, I want I wanted that I want to cover, and and these are some that I have not gotten to yet. So uh, you guys did do a couple shows about. You, I think you did a couple shows about the Wendigo, which that is okay. Just one. That is uh, a subject that I'm really fascinated by, and that's that is something that is really specific to that region, as I understand it. So as we researched it, we actually found that there are Wendigo stories that stretch throughout like the northern United States and into Canada all the way like out to Alaska, um, which I had no idea about. But um, but obviously it's very, 
very this sort of Great Lakes, U.S. and Canada region. It's it's very prevalent here. Yeah, it, it, and it's sort of linked to, and there's different variations on the word, but it's all sort of the Algonquian mm-hmm. tradition, which I had no idea the Algonquian sort of cultural group was so far flung um, and, and so widespread. I mm-hmm. I assumed it was sort of compact because sometimes you forget the difference between cultural groups and tribal variations mm-hmm. within a cultural group because that's you know a, a sort of thing I, I think the, the the Wendigo thing was um, really interesting to me not just because of of sort of the the indigenous origins of of Wendigo stories but the way that it has been taken and twisted mm-hmm. and manipulated as as this is a diagnosis of a a certain kind of psychopathology that affects some of these native peoples when they get when they're starving you know sort of the, mm-hmm. the cannibalism aspect mm-hmm. of it right. the pop culture stuff um sam got me sam made me watch supernatural i um, did <laughs> yeah a couple episodes of supernatural uh for the patreon to um it wasn't bad. I didn't, I didn't, I yeah. didn't hate it. I didn't hate, I made her watch the worst X-Files episode of all time. I, I had weird. already seen Which that, is? So. Uh, Shapes from the first season. It's sort of the, the Native American werewolf creature. It's, oh, yeah. it's, it's pretty bad. The only good thing about it is that there's lots of callbacks to the uh, 1973 wounded knee standoff. And that's why they don't trust the FBI, which, which is. That's right. I, as a, as Free a. Leonard Peltier. Word. Um, as, as a post. World War II history guy, I'm like, yes, this is good. This is this is that's a that's a good call. Um, but the rest of it was just and also not yeah. windigoy at all as no. we were watching it. It was like, yeah, this is just a werewolf story. This is not. <laughs> I, I just wanted to watch an X Files episode. Then. Yeah. Were there uh, were there any stories about the Wendigo that's that's that uh, stuck out to you from that episode? So I was actually really surprised as we started researching um, it the different cases that popped up um you know there was this one with a uh a guy who's referred to as swift runner and he was known for um being a wendigo hunter um and so whenever a wendigo had had cropped up in a town he would go out and dispatch of of the wendigo um which of course was just a person so as the canadian officials because this happened in canada heard about this they're like well this guy's just out murdering people we can't do this and so they arrested him and his brother and um and uh he he escaped but and hung himself was that oh gosh i can't remember now do you remember aaron i think that's what i think i think he escaped in committed suicide and then the other his brother stayed in prison and and was was hanged as well um but i mean so you get a lot of these obviously cultural issues between like this is our belief system and you know the community thinks we're doing what's right we think we're doing what's right but obviously the canadian government not so keen on that but i had no idea that we would find i guess perhaps naively, these actual cases where like Wendigos came into play. <laughs> um, I, I really thought we would just largely be investigating this tale. We'd have some, some good um, old uh, indigenous folklore that we'd be sharing. We'd talk about some pop culture implications, but we found, um, I think we talked about three different people in the episode in particular Um yeah, Aaron, you yeah. look like you're about to say something. Yeah, there was a, another case from 
about a year after the last great indigenous sort of rebellion against the Canadian government, where a group of Native Americans killed a woman in their their community because she was supposedly a Wendigo and they were put on trial for murder. Mm. And there's this, this whole sort of colonial justice system, judicial thing where, you know, they're like, can we convict them of murder if they truly believed they were protecting their people? And, and the decision was, we're not comfortable doing that. Mm -hmm. So so, sort of a, 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 and I found this case in like a legal journal article from, about 10 years ago where it's, it's like one of the sort of this, this larger context of how um, colonial jurisprudence shift was beginning to shift in the late 19th and early 20th century um, away from, well, this is how you should do it to, we really need to, you know, acknowledge that these people mm-hmm. do not believe the way we do. And they acknowledged it in a very sort of paternalistic imperialistic way as, as these poor backward people don't understand reality but you know it, it's sort of a a slight move toward um i don't want to say cultural relativism but you know just sort of mm-hmm. nodding in that direction and like sam said i was i thought it would be like old stories of the wendigo eating people and no it's it's like 19th century legal cases and criminal cases where these these belief systems are are coming into contact with with the the western world and and sort of that that conflict there and i just want to say i messed up the names so just look back at the outline and i was talking about jack fiddler swift runner was another guy who ate his family that we talked about so (laughs) you know there was also the guy in the i think in british columbia i think he was on a bus and he like killed this other guy i think he was one of our patrons mentioned that native american i think Mm -hmm. and so a lot of people have said that well you know they've i don't know how sensationalistic this is say well he had the wendigo spirit and these type of things and um there's a great movie hbo did called antlers which is actually a pretty decent horror movie that plays with the whole wendigo mythology and actually i think i came across that a couple times while i was googling things yeah, it's got kind of a it's got kind of an environmental kind of message to it. Oh, well. it's got Kerry Russell in it. Yeah. So the last couple that I got are kind of fun ones. Um, we'll get away from people eating each other. <laughs> I'm gonna try to pronounce this. Ladon Rouge, the the little red dwarf, and I've talked to John Tenney about this before, but uh, since he is a, a Detroiter, but uh, I don't know if that's Detroiter. I don't know if that's the way you say it. Uh. This is the little red dwarf that I guess is kind of like a, I guess he's kind of like a, uh, what is it? A harbinger of doom, I guess, usually considered. That That's what he's usually considered. Yeah. 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 This was um, another one that I definitely wanted to make sure that we covered, um, especially early on in the, in the show, because I'd always heard about it and was interested in it. Um, and and this one was fun, like as a, you know, sort of folklore research too, because there's this whole story about, you know, the um, uh, Cadillac seeing the the Nain Rouge and disrespecting the Nain Rouge. And so that is, 
you know, why the French lost Detroit and then Detroit would fall later. And as the Nain Rouge appears at some other pivotal points in Detroit's history before an ice storm, before the um, the 1967 race riots, um, you know, this this all can be traced back to, you know, this early Frenchman who disrespected the 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 Nain Rouge. And, um, you know, everything that we found really pointed back to this one historical um, document from the 1880s, this woman who um, shared the story. And, um, you know, we couldn't really, we couldn't, we couldn't go any further back than that with it. So there's no like letter from Cadillac to (laughs) his friend in Paris saying, I just saw this. I really screwed up. I insulted the Nain Rouge and now we've lost the point. It's like, shoot. Um, No, I insulted a red dwarf. He's not very happy with me right now. It, it's it's gonna happen. Um, but what's interesting is is like the 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 name the, the the sort of small sort of irritable red dwarf is you know you can trace the story back to Normandy in in France. You know there there are you know folkloric tales from the 1600s of um, of you know mischievous impish trickster like dwarfs that you don't don't screw with them. Um, but then there's, there's native American sort of, mm-hmm. sort of tales of, um, of Pukwudgies, which is one of my favorite words yes. yeah. um, now. And uh, just, just like ba- Ballyhoo is another, another favorite. Ballyhoo. Yeah. In the most recent saucer life, I, I proclaim Ballyhoo to be a word that we need to, to mm. use and not mayhap. I, I despise the word mayhap, but um, yeah. So there's this sort of like a little bit of the native legend might be there. A little bit of European legend might be there. And you get these things passed down somehow, or at least absorbed by this woman who in the 1880s decides to weave this tale of mm-hmm. Cadillac and the Nain Rouge. And the Nain Rouge ends up being the bad guy in, in modern day. The parade is to drive the yeah. Nain Rouge out of the city. And it's like, dude, mm. the Nain Rouge was just minding his own business. He's like the scapegoat now. Yeah, yes, yeah completely. he absolutely is. The small non-white being yep. is the scapegoat for all of Detroit's problems. You know, put that together in your head. Yeah. <laughs> but um, yeah, but people like Danny are, you know, sort of, doing their their protests and mm-hmm. I, I i wish i would have been able to go down this year we had talked about going we but talked then, about it but then we decided we didn't want to be in crowds of people that yeah. was our decision yeah. not any sort of like public health thing i do not like being in crowds of people they um they don't like me i, I tend to get <laughs> not health just agoraphobia right you know it, it's after after two years of public health crises i don't leave my basement but um you got a nice Michigan basement. I can see I've, I've got it. This, this is, this is actually a, not, there's actually a term, a Michigan basement. It's, it's actually an architectural term for a basement that you could spend time in, but you don't want to dirt it's, floors it, and such. It, yeah. Dirt floor, it's uneven dirt floors. It, 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 it gets wet. Oh, that's a specific term. I mean, yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. My parents, yeah. part of their basement is a Michigan basement. Yeah. So, uh, yes. our, our last house was built in the twenties and the realtor was like, it's got a Michigan basement, but it's been <laughs> over and, and the drainage is pretty good. It's still, <laughs> but um, yeah. So, um, but no, yours looks actually nice. Yeah. Yeah, it is. It is. It's, it's a basement in Michigan, but not a Michigan basement. Okay. <laughs> so um, feel free to edit that out. <laughs> but um. Yeah, so the, the Nain Rouge sort of sort of gets gets scapegoated. Um, as there's a lot of problems with the parade. Like, there, yeah, I, I was already skeptical on the parade, and then the more we read about it, and 
um, there's a lot wrong with them. I think that's a reoccurring theme in a lot of uh, America reassessing a lot of its big parades. You got the mummers, and then you've got the uh, the veiled prophet parade in St. Louis, and they all have a lot of kind of weird racist stuff going on. Yeah, it's and and I, I, I the the Nain Rouge parade isn't that old. I mean, it's no, a, it's, it's a 21st century phenomenon. It, it, it's you know, it's already there. Yeah, it, it's, <laughs> it's already popping up. Is. Yeah, and and but it's um, it's more like a yeah, this is a good enough story. Let's just go with that sort of thing because it's theatrical and, and fun mm-hmm. and, and adversarial um, but guys in colonial dress which people are encouraged to dress up and you know we've read some things talking about the colonial dress folks proclaiming they need to drive out the red guy is just a, a bad vibe to be promoting anywhere anytime yeah it just seems a little, <laughs> a little off to me is there anything we wanted to add about the the Nain Rouge? I don't want to. I don't want to make him mad. So let's not. The Nain Rouge is cool. I, yeah, I think I we're advocating for him. Pro Nashville. I'm. I've got a. I've got a sticker on my laptop about how much I love the Nain Rouge. So he's not going to mess with me. Cool. Nice. All right, so we're gonna we're gonna close this out with the most exciting cryptid you have ever heard of, and that is the Beast of Busco. Oscar the Turtle. Oscar. Oscar the Turtle from my uh, near my hometown. It's where my dentist was growing up, but same county. But yeah, back in the 40s, there was supposedly a giant turtle that was in a um, undrained field. Basically, it was just sort of a swampy area. Um, in Indiana, we don't have swamps like in Michigan. We drained them all to plant soybeans. <laughs> right. So um, it, it, it's, it's, you know, supposedly this, this big turtle called the Beast of Busco in Cherubusco, Indiana. And they tried to find it. They brought out experts from Philadelphia to find it back in the 40s. Nobody could find it. Um, and they, the town decided to make a festival around it, um, Turtle Days. And Cherubusco is now Turtle Town, USA for this one semi-mythical turtle. And it's a great example of how you can take a creature that even if it's real is not exciting. It's just a turtle. That's a little bigger than normal for Indiana, but you use it as a way to fundraise, to build the new community center. And you've got the, the elephant ears and the funnel cakes and the corn dogs and, and all that. And it, it's going to this very day. And it's what's the value in cryptids. The value in cryptids is mm-hmm. community engagement and fun mascot. Mascot. It's a mascot. You can make money mm-hmm. off this thing. You make hats and t-shirts. It's mm-hmm. it's, it's great. There's no so, deeper meaning. So my question is, Oscar was seen. Yes. Right? Okay. Yes. How big is he supposed to be? About the size of a dining room table. I think is what the newspaper <laughs> said, <laughs> which, is, which is the worst <laughs> metric group. So, I mean... I, I don't see how like that would be impossible for a snapping turtle. No, I, it, I, it's, <laughs> it's completely plausible. It, it's what 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 I don't it's going to irritate. What what amuses me is that it gets lumped in as a cryptid. It's not a cryptid. <laughs> it's a literal turtle. We know what turtles are. They're not. It almost fits into that category of cryptids that are like these these leftovers from from dinosaur times. You know? <laughs> yeah, right. Like mm-hmm. this is a a sort of preternatural 
yeah. turtle or a primordial turtle mm-hmm. of some kind. The story that I loved was that they were trying to find him or they were trying to drain the swamp or whatever. And they brought in a female turtle so that he would be interested. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You got the she just wasn't turtle. big enough for him. <laughs> um, I just want to let you know that the, the saucer wife just te- texted me that turtles are mysterious AF. So um, that's, that's the saucer wife's contribution, but uh, she's apparently I'm very loud and she can hear me in a different part of the house. But um, yeah, they, they, they bring in a, a female turtle to strut that ass around the pond. And Oscar is supposed to, you know, get up oh. on it somehow it didn't work apparently um not uh not sashaying well enough i, I just want to know who the person was that had that bright idea They're like well you know maybe if we got a female turtle we dropped it in there I'm, maybe oscar assuming will come that out. oscar's male like yeah, that's yeah. true that's that's a big assumption <laughs> his name is oscar so right how, yeah. has to be. how do you sex a turtle i mean determine the biological not not sex I a turtle but you know <laughs> I, mean, <laughs> I mean i don't know how to do that either but, what was the I mean, uh, what was the big yeah, kaiju turtle show. what was the big uh oh gamera gamera yeah he was the turtle yeah he's he's friend to children yes <laughs> As, as the movie said, Gamera is friend. Sam, have you seen Gamera? No. That's going to be a Patreon extra. We're going <laughs> to watch Gamera. In closing, guys, what's next for you on the show? What are some of the other topics that you guys are going to hit uh, coming up? Uh, currently, we are working on uh, an episode about secret societies in Chicago. We're going to specifically look at the Whitechapel Club, um, which is a group of um, newspapermen, some elite guys who um, apparently drank toast to Jack the Ripper and uh, had a really weird funeral pyre for some guy who committed suicide, um, took his body out to the shores of Lake Michigan and lit him on fire and read some Byron. So um, it'll right. be <laughs> the, the, the interesting thing is, is he committed suicide because he was told that he needed to, because he was the head of the league for the suicide, suicide, club. The, yeah. the suicide club. So it's like of Texas oh, or something, put your, put your money where your mouth is and kill yourself. <laughs> so he did. And then they, you know, burned his body in a funeral pyre. Um, yeah. And we're also planning, and and this is um, this is me blatantly trying to cross over with the Saucer Life audience, <laughs> going to be covering the swamp gas UFO sightings from uh, the 1960s mm-hmm. in southeastern Michigan, Hillsdale and uh, and Dexter. So that's on the horizon. Mm-hmm. Have we planned out any further than that, Sam? No. No. <laughs> We haven't. We, we haven't. We planned really solidly at first, and now it's like we'll get sort of three or four weeks, and then we're very busy people. <laughs> yeah, it's a great show, guys. Thank you so much for coming on and uh, being a part of this tonight. And uh, I think we're going to do a Patreon as well with you, Aaron and Samantha. We'd love for you to stay if you can. Where can people find the shows? And also, um, Aaron, we'll start with you. Um, I'm on Twitter at Saucer Life, and the Saucer Life half of the Chizo Media Media Empire is at uh, saucerlife.com. And uh, Sam can tell us where Great Lakes Lore is. Yeah, so we are on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook as Great Lakes Lore. Um, and I mean, that that's it. I, that's, that's pretty straightforward. Well, there, there's the website. <laughs> Oh yeah, greatlakeslore.com. Um forgot that one. Um but yeah, we like to we add some extra bonus um mm-hmm. photos and uh 
you know, further reading links and stuff like that for all of our episodes there. So folks who are really interested can hopefully see a few of the things that we're talking about and, um, and, and dive in deeper if they want to. And Samantha, where can people contact you? Yeah, so I am on Twitter as Samantha Angle seventy six, um, and that's where I'm generally most active. Um, on Instagram, I'm founding fangirl Sam because I'm obsessed with the American Revolution. So that's my nerdy history <laughs> Instagram handle there. <laughs> awesome. Well, thanks for coming on, y'all. Yeah. And, uh, we we'd also like to add that um, yes. Samantha and Aaron will be at. The Strange Realities Conference this year coming up October fourteenth through the sixteenth. Not quite sure which of those, which which of the either Friday or Saturday they'll be speaking, but uh, that will be um, streaming online and live here at SIR Nashville once again. And uh, I think you guys talked a little bit about what you're going to talk about, but possibly uh, right. What would you may talk about? But we're happy to. Have you guys are going to do a kind of like a tag team kind of uh, presentation, kind of like what we did a few years ago with uh, with uh, Joshua Cutchin and Timothy Renner. So, yeah, 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 yeah. Hopefully dive into more developments with the Dungeon Swamp mystery and and even, you know, how how we as historians approach um, some of this work that we do. So so we don't Very get people. Cool looking for ghosts and finding bears instead so or looking for bears and finding ghosts that would be <laughs> well yeah too. you know i am uh, i am definitely looking forward to that guys uh to seeing that and you can um, meet them in person if you yeah, come to meet nashville them in person yeah Woo-hoo. uh strange the um tickets are available it is 70 dollars if you want to join us here in nashville it is 30 if you want to join us online same setup as last year so come join us, guys. We've got the these two excellent um, podcasters. We've got uh, Tim Banal, Adam Go Rightly, John Tinney will be there. Kiki Dombrowski. This is kind of who I'm naming off the top of my head. Nathan and Isaac Recluse. We have a lot of people there from the, from last year and some new faces as well. So come join us. We're also going to have some different formatting. We're going to have some yep. workshops, a lot more interaction, uh, and a lot more uh, fun on Sunday. And uh, guys, also third Friday of the month, we are doing our online um, presentations through for Strange Realities. That is a speaker speaking on a topic, and uh, that's going to be on our Patreon. But also, you can buy those on Eventbrite as well. And Sirfiel can tell you. You can check us out at Patreon.com/slash Conspiranormal, uh, where you can listen to this uh, Patreon episode we have coming up with these guests as well as other ones one every week uh for the five dollar and up people you can join the international association of conspiracy normalists and get that content for ten dollars and up you get to join the mystic crew and attend those said strange reality speaking engagements every month for free uh so check us out at patreon.com slash normal all right guys join us next week we're going to do some treasure hunting on conspiranormal Consider becoming a Patreon at www.patreon.com slash conspiranormal or leave a one-time donation at conspiranormal.com. And please check out our YouTube channel, Conspiranormal Podcast.
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.